welcome to Black Urban America, sponsored by Team Mother Media. I am your host, Tammy Cavallis. We're going to be discussing uh, the topics around health and economics, the health economic social status of our people here in the U.S. and the diaspora. I'm waiting for my uh, co-host, my, not my co-host, because I'm the only one hosting today. Kenneth is not on today, which is really sad because I miss him, but I am waiting for at least three others to call in, so... Any moment now, we should begin to call in. Um, so uh, basically what we're going to be discussing are the, um, the economic growth and development. It's, it's a big situation in our community. So we want to address that, and we want to make sure that we get to, um, to talk about it on a roundtable and get different opinions and views on um, the health and social interaction as well. So we will be discussing. You have, a, you, uh, uh, you have someone call. You have a nine seven one two two six. Okay. You're well, on the air. Abdul Kavali. Yes. Yes. Like, hello. Hi, Abdul. How are you? Good. Good. How are you guys doing? Good. We're waiting for um, our other to call in, and so we're going to be discussing the the um, the health and economic growth of our people, as as well as the social. Uh, development of our people here in the U.S. in the diaspora, and we want to try to get some some views and some input and some, you know, some um, maybe some questions answered today. Okay. Mhm. If you have anything that you you want to go ahead, I can ask the first question since uh, my other callers haven't called in yet. Um, I really wanted to kind of not have them leave me hanging. <laughs> But I don't know. I guess I'm going to go ahead and ask the first question to you. It looks like, um, so I guess my first question would be, what are some of the key and social activities and practices that we need to emphasize and improve upon in order to maintain our good ancestral moral values in the U.S. and the diaspora? Can you give me your take on that? Um, I think that's a very good question. Uh, The first thing... I would want to say is um, uh, we have to seek knowledge, first of all, trying to get the right knowledge with regards to social ancestral practices, because if we have information that is not correct, then um, it means that uh, we will be misguided as to the kind of social practices that we're going to be engaging, and uh, especially with regards to uh, the kind of life uh, we want our people to live in terms of social life. Um, so the first thing I will say here is, first of all, we need to seek knowledge. We need to read the books that will give us the correct knowledge and understanding of uh, the social practices of our ancestors. Um, well, I want to believe that uh, we have... Uh, Different kinds of social activities that uh, our people are engaged in in the United States. I think and, uh, the other guests are gone. Oh, wow. I'm sorry to interrupt. So we have some other callers. Who do we have on right now? Oh, it's just Samuel Anderson. Hey, Samuel. How are you? Hey, Hi. I'm all right. Yeah, we were just in the middle of answering uh my first question, and I know that you were not online to hear it, so Abdul Kazali is also on. What's going on, brother? And, uh, yeah, hi. So we were just discussing um, our first question. I can ask it again, but um, let me let Abdul finish up his thought, and then I can go over that question again. How about that? Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, with regards to social practices that um, – uh, we need to engage in that will bring some credence to our ancestors. Uh, like I said earlier on, the first thing we need to do is to first of all seek correct and legitimate knowledge. Because knowledge is power. If we're able to understand what is the meaning of different kinds of social activities that our ancestors, both in the United States and the diaspora, have practiced and the reason why they did what they did and the significance it has to our moral, spiritual, and social life and even economic life, 
uh, if we're able to understand all of that, and that will give us uh, purpose, and it will make our actions, our social actions, significant to humanity, especially in with regards to our people. So my first aspect is seeking knowledge. And after seeking knowledge, it's information dissemination, because there are people who might not be able to get some of this information that we get, and so we need to have a forum, like, for example, this platform. We need to have this kind of platform, many of them, plenty of them, you know, so that we'll be able to teach the young generation to see exactly if we dance, what is the meaning of the dance, our people dance, the songs they sing, the marriage, the marriage and the practices, and uh, singing, and uh, even some kind of, uh, like, cultural practices that they do in terms of uh, different occasions in our lives. We need to be able to impact this knowledge to our generation coming, we need to be able to have a mechanism wherein it is automatically passed on to the younger generation so that this thing will flow from one generation to the other. I've not gone into the details of these uh, activities, but this is more or less a paraphrase I'm just doing to saturate the whole thing so that we see exactly what we need to do. We first of all get the knowledge, we first of all, second, we pass the knowledge, and we find a mechanism wherein we have a system that can easily pass this knowledge through our movies that we produce, like, for example, the Natsona movie. You know, you will learn a lot of stuff in that movie. And we have a lot of other people that have produced movies, and these kinds of stuff will be a teaching aid for our people, you know, to be able to learn and not take it like something that is just like in passing. And, uh, well, thing we need to do to empower ourselves and to enrich ourselves with the social culture that is needed is to be able to strengthen our marriage relationships in terms of, uh, you know, because marital instability is a very significant aspect to social life of both the parents and the children. Because when you have a stable, uh, a stable social relationship like that of marriage, because marriage is a social relationship, so if you have a stable relationship, and all those stuff we're talking about are going to be practiced well. You can see people like what we see today, people twerking. You know, that's one of my examples that <laughs> I give. You know, you see the kind of uh, nudity and uh, explicit behavior that just render us very insignificant in terms of moral values. And we want to actually do things that we still produce better social life without altering our moral values. So I will stop there for now, since we still have more to discuss on this topic. For now, that's what I just, mm-hmm. that's my take for now, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I just jumped right into the questions. I didn't even have uh, Abdul introduce himself or tell us anything about himself at all. Um, so, mm-hmm. Abdul, if you want to just take a few minutes to tell us, who you know, your name and where you're from and a little bit about you. Okay. My name is Abdul Zali. I'm from Sierra Leone, and, uh, you know, I have been engaged in different activities out there. Uh, most prominent of all is I was the principal of a secondary a high school of over 2,500 children and uh, for over seven years. And uh, I've also held different positions. I've been a lecturer in different universities in uh, Sierra Leone. And, uh, of course, for now the highest degree I hold is a master's degree in uh, General development studies. Thank you. Sam, Samuel Anderson, good to have you on, my brother. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from, and then I'll go back into the first question that that you missed. Sam? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me now? Oh, I can hear you now. I'm like, where'd he go? (laughs) Yeah. I can hear you now. Yeah, I put it on mute. Okay. So, like, so get any background noise. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Uh, my name is Samuel Anderson, Senior, uh, founder of uh, Black Advancement Alliance. Uh, we always got 2016. Uh, I'm out of Texas right now. I stay out in Fort Worth, um, and uh, I'm just um, I'm, I'm just the average day Joe who's uh, just trying to make sure that 
that we're all on the uh, same path with a coalition of brothers and sisters to get some things done. I know I know people do a lot of talking, but you know we have to work with a lot of these talks that we're doing, and uh, I think that's one of the biggest problems. But uh, that's who I am. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'll be right here online, you know, when you guys need me, yell me, you know, yell at me, and uh, I'll answer any questions that you got. I am so glad that you called in today. Um, let me go ahead and ask that question again. Um, and so the question basically is, what are some of the key social activities, what are some of the key social activities and practices that we need to emphasize and improve upon in order to maintain our good ancestral and moral values in the U.S. and the diaspora? And, you know, such as, you know, music or culture. And if you could give me your take on that, that would be great. I think that um, that that music, uh, dancing, and knowing the truth about uh, marriage and the customs of it, um, we, we have to have that. Uh, because we get, let's deal with marriage first. We get so far off track uh, with following the general American way that we lose ourselves in the culture of what we're supposed to be in. So we, we start following that, that uh, uh, if you say that, that Kim Kardashian wedding type thing, you know, we, well, we got to get all this plastic stuff done, and, and that's who we want now. And you, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm, it, it, exactly. that's not how it goes, you know. Uh, your mate is not someone made up of materials uh, for you to be with. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we got to find out what, what are the real customs of marriage from the African uh, ancestry part of our lives and get back to those things, uh, even if there's a, a, a tweak in it, because we're older now. You know, we're, we're not living, you know, a thousand or two and three or a million years ago. We know things change with time, but the concept should stay the same. You know what I'm saying? You can tweak anything, right. but those concepts have to stay the same, and we have to instill those things in the children. Now, as far mm-hmm. as the music and dancing, those are our ways, and from what I've seen, from what I have uh, witnessed myself, well on TV and out in public, you know, because growing up I used to dance myself. So I didn't know what dancing was. I just thought it was a way of expressing myself through music but with no formality. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we have to have it because it's really our way of communicating with each other through music and dance. Because dance shows either aggression or love. You know what I'm saying? So it, it mm-hmm. shows so many forms. And if we know those things when we're dancing and with our music, if we're singing out the messages, like they said uh, in the old days and the slavery days, uh, which we're still in them, um, they, they had a lot of messages through music that whites did, know, did not know anything about. So... Now that whites are controlling the music, they know everything we're saying to each other because we invited them in. Mm-hmm. So the importance of music uh, is, is very detrimental because we have to have it. There has to be a way of communicating with each other without some other culture knowing what we're saying. Because you got to look at it like this right here. If we were to go to Russia right now, packed up, went to Russia, and we saw Russians dancing, we wouldn't know what they were saying with their body language. They could actually Mm -hmm. be saying something to the other masses of Germans or Russians, which could mean to kill everybody that just walked in the building. We wouldn't know that because we we don't know that culture. But if we learn their culture and we learn their ways and it's a secret way of them knowing things, then we know what they're then we would know what they would be saying. So it's very important that our children know why we dance and the purpose of it, why our mm-hmm. music was there, because every bit of music came from us. Every dance came from us. So I think it's very important that uh, we have those things uh, brought out, especially uh, to those who do not know, 
and uh, for the younger generation that's coming, so that we do not lose the art, because we're we're almost out of it. If you, if no one's paying attention, um, we'll be. Ext- I'm not saying that we will, but we will be extinct in our culture if we allow other cultures to overtake what we already should be learning. Right. So, or, yeah, I, I think your last guest is on. I think your last Hello? guest is on. Three two three seven eight six. Is that Mitchell? Well, go ahead. Hello? I can't hear him. That's okay. I guess the person is not going to participate. Continue. Okay, okay. So, yes, Sam, that makes a lot of sense. I'm sorry about that. We kind of got a little bit unorganized today. We were, I had scheduled for us. Um, four people to call in, and only, like, I'm glad you did, and Abdul called in, so now Cherry we can Walker. just move forward. Who is that? Sure. That's, that's uh, um, Cherie Walker. Uh, she's a guest. She's listening in on the call. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yes. Thank you. So, yeah, we were um, just going to go ahead and uh, continue on, and, and all of that stuff, you know, everything that we are uh, discussing today should we need to have these, this this platform for these discussions? Very important. And so, with that, I'm just going to go on to my next question, which is, um, what are what would you say? What are supposed to be the best health practices and health services for our people in the U.S. and the diaspora? So, the best health practices, would you say? What would you say that they were? NASA is whoever is ready to answer it. Yeah, it's just open question. I'm just putting it okay. on the table. Okay. Um, well, since I opened my mouth, so yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you know me. You know, I got a lot to say. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's like this. Um, and and this, I'm gonna get kind of deep with this one. Mm-hmm. This is gonna be deep with this one because uh, this is something that that really touches me. Uh, just as much as our music and our dance and uh, the customary marriage deal. This really touches me on this one because um, we have been uh, institutionalized and shaped by slavery, segregation, and, you know, the dehumanization of uh, blacks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. uh, things have become the norm for us in dealing with other cultures. What I mean by that is it's okay for us to venture out into other cultures because as blacks, African-American, Africans, uh, we're very versatile, okay? And we know this. We know this. Every other culture knows this. We can adapt to anything. So it's okay for us to venture out into other cultures. But here's the problem, okay? Um we're excluding our own culture by dealing with other cultures. We go out and we deal with all of the Mexican, you know, cultures, the German, the Japanese, the Asian culture, and we eat all those types of foods and we get ourselves out of the norm of what we're supposed to be doing and we carry on into that, which if you keep doing that throughout generations and generations, the McDonald's and the KFCs become your children's culture. You see what I'm saying? So um, mm-hmm. you can't, and I got this thing, it's called the ape theory. Everybody knows apes eat fruit, okay? You can't go get a polar bear and tell a polar bear to tell an ape to change his diet. He's not going to do it. That's what. That's right. where his strength is. That's where his health is. He doesn't have to worry about diabetes. He doesn't have to worry about cancer. He doesn't have to worry about any of those things because he stays with the norm of what he grew up on, the foods that his coaches him. We got so far mm-hmm. out of the health services and protecting of ourselves and our bodies, that's why all these 
cancers and everything are upon our people now, and they were deliberately done. So how do we get back into those things is um, uh, uh, start practicing these things at home with our children, which our children grow up and start passing that on themselves, because we have to tell our children the truth. We have to tell them the truth about McDonald's and KFC and Wendy. We have to tell them the truth. I was looking at a video today, and it's a video I've seen a long time ago, and someone sent it to me again. You know, the yellow number fives and the blue number threes on the M&Ms and the the little uh, graham crackers and, you know, and stuff like that. You know, all these things have petroleum and all these dyes and stuff in there that, kids, either some, some type of stomach cancers, ADHD, you know, there's something going on with it, and our government says it's okay. They tell you it's okay. Wait a minute. First, they tell you don't put it on your skin, but it's okay to consume it. Now, wait a minute now. Well, what sense does that make? So our health practices have been out of whack. We don't, we don't do it. And when you, uh, I, I remember someone speaking about when a whole food store pops up in the black neighborhood, the black neighborhood, you know what the first thing they say? Oh, man, these white folks trying to get us up out of here. No. Whoever that whole foods person is that owns that store is bringing a healthy environment to you. But you have been on McDonald's and all these other places all your life that you don't understand what just came to you. Healthy living just came into your neighborhood, and the first thing you said is, oh, these white folks trying to get us out of here. That's, right. that's not how it goes. So you've been programmed, you know, programmed to stay unhealthy. So to be healthy is not the norm anymore. Well, it's, it's starting to because you have a lot of people that's trying to do it. And it's hard, even for me sometimes. You know, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to live a little today. I'm going to go eat a pizza. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but I, And I get myself out of the norm, but, you know, I have to pay for that. You know? In the long run, I have to pay for that. But like I say, my ape theory, the, uh, the ape does not go away from its diet because it mm. knows better. We know better, but we don't do better. And that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that eating has a is the most this, this is what we need to be focused on most because our eating habits are not what they should be. Most definitely, and I agree, and I agree with most that. Most definitely, Abdul, what's your take on that? Um, yeah, uh, I agree with my brother on all what uh, he has just said with regards to the best uh, health practices. Uh, in addition, I want us to also pay attention on the fact that we as human beings, uh, we have diversity within our humanity. And what do I mean? It means that uh, um, we can all be African. But I tell you, there are certain things some Africans eat that some other Africans can't eat. And uh, even with regards to medication, medication, there are certain medications like, uh, let's say, native herbs or, you know, local herbs, whatever name we call them. Um, there are some that, some that works in, on particular people who are black and uh, uh, there are, and those very those same medications can uh, cannot work on other black people, and uh, we're all black. But even the treatments, the food, we have to watch and try to know ourselves. We need to know ourselves with regards to medication and with regards to food, because food is medicine. We are what we eat. To a very large extent, this, this comes as a result of uh, a lot of experience I've had moving around the diaspora in different countries while I was uh, with the UN. Um, you know, all I would say is hard to bring all these examples together, but all I would say is let every African try to study himself or 
herself in terms of medication, in terms of better health practices like eating habits, and etc. Like, I can give you just one example. I have a friend. Uh, this friend is like 42 years now. Since he had knowledge of becoming a human being, he has never been sick. And this is a guy who eats pizza, who thinks that, like me sitting down here, I am like, an ex- I am like, if you want to experiment whether this food is good or not, just give it to me. Because by the time you give it to me, my body will just tell you right away that this is not right. So that's my problem I'm facing, you know, with regards to eating habits. So I have to be very careful what comes in, into my stomach. But here is somebody who is also an African god, who eats, I can never even venture to put in my stomach. And here is a guy, when I, he, he, he doesn't even know most of his medication, that when I talk about Tylenol and some of this stuff, he doesn't even talk about them. He doesn't even know about this stuff. So we are different. We are human beings, but we are different. We all need to know ourselves better. Let's not just go with the flow. Like we see people doing this thing and we think it's okay for us to go. But I want to tell you, the body is so powerful. The human body is so powerful that it tells you. It tells you. When you eat good food, trust me, you will know. We, we, most of the time we ignore. We ignore that fact. But there is this instinct. There is this thing that tells us that what you just ate is good. And what you just ate, it's not good. So we will know. And most of this food, like our brother said, you know, they lead to a lot of sickness. And so we eventually have to go to for pharmaceutical medication, which to a very large extent has been proven not working the way it should, it should you know, in terms of uh, helping people with their health, especially our own people. And uh, we need to pay more attention to that. And uh, a very strong statement I would like to make is anybody else can eat anything, but everything that is organic is for black people. If you want to know what's good for you, you go organic. And I know when I say organic, a lot of people are worried because we're talking about more expensive. And that is systemic. This is something that has been set up. You know, that uh, they have to sell food that is organic and food that is not organic. That in itself is discriminatory. Because in real fact, all we need to do is sell food. If you go to Africa, we don't have organic and non-organic. No African country has organic and non-organic vegetables in the market. They have tried to influence us sending fertilizer, sending some of these genetically motivated chemicals to put in our farms. But the soil don't even agree with that. Our soil don't even agree with that. They have tried. That's why it's very difficult for an African country under normal circumstances to produce rice in three months. We take a whole year for us to produce a segment of rice. And so we need to bring this form of agricultural practices in the first place for our people. They need to engage in they need to be free to be able to have the government assistance to be able to secure organic products from outside of this country and take our time and grow them, even if it takes one year or two years, let's grow them and feed ourselves. But if you look at the food, it's almost synonymous to sickness in America. And if you want to eat healthy, it means you have to spend more. And so the systemic racism aspect of things that I see in this is the fact that uh, our people are being impoverished systematically in a way that nobody has to tell you to go buy uh, a red, a green ball paper for $5 for one. <laughs> you know you don't have the money, and so you will not buy it. But in the case of other people who have all the opportunities and all the privileges, they are able to afford so when we talk about health, we need to also think about the economic situation of our people. I, I have high respect for our people because I know our people know what is good. 
I guarantee you this, that our people know quality. They know in every aspect of their life, they know what they want. But what is the thing that is derailing them, it's affecting their life, is the fact that they are economically stranded. That is one of the main keys that brings about all these health issues and problems. So if we strengthen ourselves economically, believe me, with regard to good food and good food, I want to tell you that our people, you don't have to tell them, they know what's good. Their problem is money. Yeah, um, that's very, those are very valid points. And just to add to that, I would like to just say a couple things. As far as food goes, we know that food can be our medicine if we eat right. I mean, just getting to the bottom of what is good for our bodies to keep us healthy and in a healthy state, we can fight a lot of disease and cancer just by eating the right kind of food. Um, this has been proven. There's even lists of things that you can eat to, you know, to prevent disease. Um, and it is systemic. They know The system knows that. That's why they make lemons, limes, and avocados and purple carrots and all this stuff. They make it so expensive to where it's out of reach for our people, which is a systemic problem. It's racism. Um, and, you know, it's sad because we have to combat that. We have to come around. We have to come into a place where we can um, where we can make a, a difference and, and as far as that goes. So I would like to just see uh, us either be able to get together to either buy a plot of land to grow our own foods in some point or some in some way. If it, you know, if there was a possibility that we could do that, that was great. Um, did we get another guest on? Did we get another guest on? No. Okay. So I'm just going to go ahead and go to the next question. Um, and that question would be, what are the best economic practices that our people need to engage in in order to improve their living standard and wealth creation? Um, whoever wants to take that question first, go ahead. That's group economics right there. Huh. Exactly. Group economics. There is no other way. You None. have to have group effort. You have to have it. Solidarity or else. And that's that's very serious on that one. Um, mm-hmm. the the there are a lot of organizations out here right now, um, and you know and you know some of them, we all do, that are pushing for group economics. Um right. why why our people are not moving? Um I mean, I'm pretty sure we can probably come up with a million answers for that. Uh, but we can't come up with one as to uh, why why they did support it. You, you know what I'm saying? Because some people just do it just because. Uh, you, you don't find a lot of genuine uh, people in a lot of organizations. Uh, organizations have to understand uh, this one thing right here. If you do not have a coalition of organizations that are true and honest with each other about the things that they need from each other, then there is no way group economics is going to work. I can have a thousand people uh, give a thousand bucks. Okay. But, and, and that's just one organization. But if I reach out to seven or eight or nine other organizations and those organizations don't want to deal with my organization or our organizations don't want to deal with those organizations, then we're not doing ourselves justice at all because we, every last one of those organizations need each other. And I, I, I preach this a lot because you got to look at it. You have organizations out there who are, who are all about economic growth, you know, power and development. You have other organizations out there who are political. You have others out there who are about, you know, humanitarian aid. You have others out there who are, you know, the pro-black militant. And you know what I'm saying? And so each one of those organizations should be dealing with each other. Because if I'm, an econ- if I'm, if I'm in the economic parts of it, and if that's what I'm put here to do, if my ancestors gave it to me to help try to build by, um, by, by helping the people in masses and helping us build, 
so that we can sustain in our own neighborhoods. If the ancestors gave that to me and I'm putting that out there, then I should be able to go to those militant brothers and sisters who are out there on the streets wanting to fight every day to protect my side while I fund their side. And then the both of us should be dealing with the other organizations who are political to protect both of us. So, you know, so, so you got to have a coalition of it. If you do not have group economics, you, you lose. You lose. Everyone's hand should be dealt in. Everyone should have that, that hand dealt to them. That deck has to go to everyone. The old people back in the day, our great-grandparents and all that there, when the neighborhood uh, was hungry, people got together and they brought food. They brought food together and they ate together. So mm-hmm. that big example is the same now. We should be putting our monies together in order to reach what we're trying to get. They want to talk about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. So what? Talk about them all you want. Ain't nothing you can do about that. Stop worrying about what the white folks is doing and go do what you're supposed to be doing on your own. See, if you go do it on your own, you don't have to worry about the government and what they're doing because you have your own militant group, your own economic uh, part, your own wealth part. Your own, you have all those things, so you don't care what the government do. They can do what they want. They're going to do what they want to do anyway. Ain't nothing we can say. There's nothing we can do to change them. But we have to change ourselves, and that group, group economics is what handles that. Nothing else. There is nothing else we can do without group economics, period. I agree with that. Group economics is definitely the way to go because that's something that we have not been practicing as much as we should, and I think that that is uh, mandatory. Um, And all other groups practice group economics. That's why they're successful here in the U.S. So I agree with you 100%. Abdul, you want to follow up? Uh, thank you very much, brother, because um, well, our contribution is just immaculate, you know. So uh, what I want to add on this one is um, uh, uh, I want us to start with the media. I want us to have a national and international media base in the sense that we will create, that we will serve as our own school, that will serve as our own teacher, that will grow our children up, that will grow our minds, that will tell us who we are, and that will tell us what we need and how we can get what we need. What I notice in America, the media is everything. Even if death, they sell it through the media. In this country, and one thing about uh, about mind control, you know, the media is a very powerful tool. Wherein, if, if it is used in the wrong way, ten chances to one you will succeed. To make people believe what you say, because America is so boring, it's such a boring country that uh, kids don't have the opportunity like. Uh, Kids in the 20s or 30s have that opportunity of being able to go to the neighborhood and play around. I'm talking about like Africa, you know, like because the 20s and 30s are not good days here. Um, like in Africa, you can go out and play with the neighborhood, you know, go out to the next neighbor. But today, everybody's on electronics. So it's really boring. So what we, and that's a good thing we can take advantage of, the fact that as we're speaking right now, millions and millions of our people are holding their phones or their laptops or some form of social media they are on it right now. So if we are able to, first of all, encourage our people to understand, to sell our, our merchandise, to be able to know where to go shop, what to do, you know, we all the media. And our people, like, let's say, for example, Facebook. I tell you, Facebook has taken over in a way that almost everybody in this world today wants to check on Facebook at least once a week, if not every day. And that, you can find a lot of stuff in there. And so what we need to do, the media is what we need to have 
Skype. And this is a special kind of media that will attract our people, wherein let a day not pass without our people checking that particular site or that particular form of media that we're going to create. I don't know which one now, but we need to have the media that we're going to create for ourselves, wherein we listen to things, we know even the new uh, uh, nigash shoes that they just published or tele-tele jacket that is just published or, you know, just produced and all that kind of stuff, and we try to see how we can show those things on TV. We have a national TV that you see the promotion of black businesses and black products and, you know, all those things that talent show. We need to put attention on those kind of stuff. And guess what? When people believe in a particular thing, they go for it. Each time, you don't even have to beg anybody. You just have to keep on, they just keep on asking you, what do we have this year? What kind of jacket? So everything will just go out there, and that will bring about prosperity, economic prosperity. Even if somebody can just make donuts, every of our people can just make donuts. They will sell because we know where to go buy black donuts. So that's one aspect. It's not that we don't have black businesses. We have a lot of black businesses in the world and in America, but it seems like they are being muscled by the media. They are being muscled and they're not allowed to grow. So we need to hold on to that tight so that that way we will instill a sense of culture, a sense of custom, a sense of tradition, so that we know that when we wear something, we respect it because it's part of us. And we don't have to look into anybody else's culture because, I mean, culture is just what a society values. If you go to a particular community, they will tell you you have to have a Lamborghini for us to think that you're a member of this community. If you don't have it, you're not, um, you're, we don't consider you. So we have a community where at least you have to have a bicycle. And people will say, oh, yeah, he just, bought, he just bought a bicycle, and so now he's um, among our ranks. It's just about what society portrays out there, what the belief system is. And this will help economic growth. But the problem with American market is the fact that the lies and the fakery and all kinds of stuff that has been taking place all these years it's dwindling the market. It's having a very unstable market because people are getting to know. People are getting to understand, especially our people, that this food will be sold to and not good. So people are looking for alternative means. And that alternative means is the gap we need to fill. That will help us with economic growth. And secondly, uh, with regards to our economic uh, growth, we need to try and uh, be careful the way we promote our programs. You know, there is a saying that you can never test the depth of the sea with your two feet. You can never eat your cake and have it. Uh, this is America. This is America, and it is built for white people. That's the fact. We are here, and we built this country. And so, but we are not recognized. The laws are even made against us. For example, I can give you a typical example. People, five or six black people will start passing along a particular road, a small road. Just because they are black, the next week they will pull a law that says nobody passes here anymore. And that becomes a law. This is how American Constitution is formed. By any activity that is typical of a black man, because tomorrow, next day, it's in the Constitution to say we don't allow this anymore. Think about marijuana. Think about the drug use. Go into the history. That will tell you that all these laws are passed as soon as our people engage in that activity. But they were in it. And today, we see the reverse. We see all what is going on. How the laws are being changed to favor a particular group for mass incarceration and, and, and elsewhere. So what we need to do as black people, we need to stop naming our projects in a way that depicts us and depicts what we intend to do. Okay, let me give you an example. You go to the mall. They will not tell you that this mall is a white mall. There will, nobody will tell you that this mall is called the white mall. But guess what? It's just like the White House. I mean, different from the White House, sorry. 
But when you go in there, just by observing what you see in the mall, who sell, who buy, and who bring all the merchandise and everything in there, you will start even hand-picking our people. One, two, by the time you go 10, probably you will not go 11 to count. There nobody tells you it's a white mall, but when you see the system, what they designed and what they did, it's white. Even the makeup. You go to the makeup eyes, you go to all this stuff. They don't have most products here for black people. Most of the lotions and some of this stuff they make, they don't make them for our people. The Chinese are the ones bringing for our people, as you think, to come and sell to us. You know? So we need to be tactical. In the same, mm-hmm. I, can, I can take 50 million if I have that money and establish a mall and call it the Mall of the United States. I call it like Washington, D.C. Mall. But I know what I would do inside my mall. That when you enter the mall, you give it another name. In your heart, you know this is a black mall. So I don't even have to say Black Lives Matter. I will form a group and name it a different name. So you won't even know what I'm doing. And by the time I'm done, you see the results, then you know exactly I'm fighting for black people. I don't think the, the movement, I don't think uh, Dr. Martin Luther may soon rest in peace. I don't think they had any name that they were calling, you know, when he was doing most of his movements and stuff that uh, kind of uh, go to, because one thing, anything that you mention that means black, it raises an offense. People are, will just get angry and mad and just annoyed. That is what we are facing. That's the reality. So, unfortunately, we are buying enemy life. Imagine if you are buying enemy life and you want to make it. It's not easy because the master is looking, is watching. And when you notice that this thing is being too black, then they will kind of wipe it a little bit and make it white. That's what they will do because they have everything that it takes. And one thing I want to say about black people also, we need to be engaged in government. We cannot leave government and say it's not our business. Because for every law that President-elect Trump is going to pass, like he said today, that he thinks that anybody who burns the national flag should either go to prison or lost its American citizenship. Well, guess what? Black people are American citizens as well. So if it means that if any one of us are engaged in that practice, we're going to face the consequences he just mentioned. So that is why we need to try to engage. For example, the Mexicans have a quota in every politics in this country. The Mexicans have a quota. Why are the original people who actually build this country? We don't have a quota, except you see us in smaller spots, just little, little spots. We have to go into politics and beat them in the game. We are smart people. We are intelligent people. Look at the display of our brother that is just leaving the, the presidency now. No matter the fact, I know that he's not able to do much for black people because he's between the devil and the deep sea. He can't, but at least he represented us with a high level of moral. We did not hear that our brother slept with people in the White House. That alone is credence to us. We need to, to, to talk for ourselves that a brother has just been placed into a, the highest office of the world, and he came out without anybody pointing finger to say you stole that money, or you slept with women, or you did this immoral activity. I think our brother has done it. We know. We can understand. If he's not able, it takes time. I mean, it takes time. Maybe in the next 50 or 500 years, we'll not see white presidents in America anymore. We'll see black presidents. So it takes time. Nobody, if you ask people 100 years back, they will tell you that they, will, they never thought that somebody black would be a president of this country. So we will take it slowly, you know, little by little. And I believe that we'll reach our destination with time. So economically, we have to go into politics to get our own stakes. 
to the international cake and to make sure we put our own voice and let them respect us by either voting or not voting, any way we can express ourselves, they need to know that we make a very important and significant number in this country. So that's it for now. Mm-hmm. Well, Brother Abdul, you know I don't agree with you about, um, you know, just because we had a black person in the White House that, you know, we should all be thankful for that because I really feel like Obama didn't do much for his people. And I'm not going to go too much into details if I don't like to talk about that. It's kind of like a sore spot for me because we did have a black president, and at the point in, in when he was in office that he had an opportunity to do more for his people, but he did not. So, yeah, I mentioned is, that. At least I mentioned that. He's yeah, not able, I mean, but you know. I try to show understanding for the fact that uh, it's not that I he know, wasn't able. I, mean, I wouldn't say backlash. it's not look because he's not able. It's because he put on him, you know. Yeah, I would say that he, he, it's not because he's not able, though. I would say it's not because he didn't have the power to do it. I feel like it was just like um, something that he just did not engage in, period, as though just like any other president that we've had before, they just did not engage us as a people. And him being of us and still not doing anything, you know, that is just, you know, that adds insult to injury in my opinion. Okay. Um, Brother Mitchell, are you on? Okay, I guess we didn't. So I'm just going to go ahead, go ahead and go to the next question. Does, does anybody else have anything else? Sam, do you have anything to say uh, to what Brother Abdul had to say? Well, um, I agree with a lot of things. I just, like I say, I just, um, my, my biggest deal is the only way, and I'll preach it to the end of time, is uh, group economics is the only way that it's going to happen and that and that's with a coalition of organizations uh, who got their stuff in order. Because, you know, there's millions of organizations out there, but that don't mean they're all in order. Uh, right. Some have, yeah, you know, some of them have their own uh, agenda, and, uh, and, and it's about money for them and not the people. So when I'm going, what, what me and my organization is doing, along with, the other, you have. I'm not going to deal with organizations that's full of crap. Okay, so um, you have uh, the Black Wall Street out there, and you have a brother named Infalme who has the Carnation. Um, you know, right now those are the only ones that I I even deal with, uh, besides the Protect the Black Woman and uh, Children movement. Um, those are the only ones I really deal with. Um, because I, I, I talk to certain ones out of both of those organizations. Um, and I, and I see the genuine, uh, deals that they're doing. So I don't, you know, if I had to spread money throughout organizations, the first thing that I got to look at when it comes to that would be, you know, are your books in order and where's your money going? Because if it's going in your pockets, then I can't deal with you. So that that's that's an issue that a lot of these other organizations are having with each other. That's why you find a lot of organizations falling down by the wayside because of mismanagement of uh, funds. And it shouldn't mm-hmm. be that if you have if you are, if you started right, you're going to end up right. So you know what I'm saying with any organization. If you start the right way, you're in the right way. If your motive is, oh, we just need to make money and we'll deal with the people when we can, then, you know, it's going to come to you. But like I say, group economics and having a coalition of uh, organizations coming together uh, without anyone being the boss, because, you know, black people don't like other blacks to be their boss. And I don't know why, because they'll let let one white boy boss a thousand of them, but won't let a hundred Negroes talk to them the right way. And that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. So um, we got to have a group economics. So that, that's my take on it. Okay. Well, I really appreciate both you guys coming on today. I had two other guests, you know, Brother Abdul and, and Sam, you guys had some very valuable um, opinions and, and ideas that um, that is just great. They need to be discussed. I have one other question. Yes, I would like to question. thank uh, Tammy for organizing this roundtable. Uh, I'm her co-host, Kenny Jones of Black Yay, Earth of America. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, Sam and Adul, a lot of information is very valuable. 
valuable. But I have one question. You know, there was an experiment in Brooklyn back in the 80s that tested the trust between black entrepreneurs and black consumers. And found out that we don't even trust each other. So with the collective economics and group economics, it has to be some type of cultural awareness or cultural training attached to that. This is the reason why we're doing it. This is the reason why, this is the mission. These, these are our goals. Another example is like, I've been trying to get, I've been trying to get uh, small black businesses or self-employed black folks to invest in everything. Else. But again, it's been the hardest thing to do, and I think it's the trust level. Even when you know that it will benefit each other. Right. So how can we build that trust in, in less than a minute? How can we less than two minutes? How, how can we build that trust? Well, first, Anybody you know, um, uh, when when you when you're trying to get trust in someone, you know, for a, a person, it's like a relationship, you know, with a man and woman. Um, you do things in the beginning that 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 you show, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, in the physicalities of what you're doing to where people can have an eyeball. Because, you know, we, we, you know, we as black folks, we like to see it. We can hear it, but we like to see it happening. And uh, uh, that, that trust issue comes in, uh, number one, it, it really, it's, it's our fault, but that, that first uh, fault, and I hate, I hate to say it, and, and I, don't, I really don't like to, but I'm going to say it. The first fault uh, is ours. And then it's the white man's, and then it comes right back to us. Why do I say that? Because we never should have let them in in the first place. That was our mistake. The second part of that is they have us. So that was the second part. And then the third part of it coming right back to us is that we know that they taught us not to trust us. So why are we not going to go back and trust each other again? See see how ignorant that is? So, um it's it's just so crazy. But uh, when you're talking about business and building something and trying to get businesses, especially small black businesses, together collectively as a whole to make something happen for the community and for themselves and for future generations, they are so tied up on what happened before them that they are that they can't move now. See what I'm saying? You almost literally have to go in there and put a check or some cash in their face and make them move. You see what I'm saying? And that's an mm-hmm. issue. And the re- and the basic, biggest example I can always give one is this: a white boy can walk in their establishment and give them a paper dream. With, and I mean. Give them a paper dream without signing anything on the dotted line, and they'll buy it. But as soon as you or I go in and say, hey, listen, this is how we can do things, the first thing they do is throw their hands in the air and say, we can't do it. I don't think. I got problems with my people. Oh, but you'll go let Jeff, these white people. So, but yeah, yeah we, we got we to gotta trust each other, man. So that's an issue. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, I think um, uh, there are so many technical things that uh, will be involved in trying to build that trust, actually, with regards to this uh, economic uh, trying to do some businesses in the form of making uh, businesses together, foreign money. It all depends on the organizational structure of uh, those uh, uh, agencies or groups. Because uh, if the structures are weak, then uh, it cannot use a lot of trust even among the groups, you know, and up to the point of the consumers, you see. So, for example, a typical example of uh, a form of administration that uh, the Germans have, uh, like, uh, every morning, we have what's called inter-agencies. And these inter-agencies, like every representative of every group, will meet 
at 8 a.m. at a particular place. That person is like the PR. He goes into that room and everybody out to time. the table what everybody has done. Yeah. So that's a very good yeah. way to build trust. So we're out of time. Yes, we're out of time. Um, so I'd like to thank my guests for coming on today, the ones that came. I really appreciate you guys. I'm Louisville Valley. Thank you for showing up. And thank you. this is Black Urban America. Thank you.